Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at the Judges Othniel and Ehud from Judges chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Judges chapter 3, verse 7, and follow along while I read. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Bells and Ashtoreth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathayim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathayim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Amorites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubic in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out to the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sierra. 
When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. This reading gives us very brief insight into the rule of two of Israel's judges. Even though we are not given much detail about either man's life, we can learn some things from the way that these men rose to power and the way that they were used by God to deliver Israel. Let's start by looking at Othniel. The main point of his time as leader over Israel seems to be that the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 10 basically lets us know that the Holy Spirit came upon Othniel and Israel was saved. I think at very least, this should remind us about our own salvation and what we learn in the New Testament, that the salvation of Christians is the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Paul wrote, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. As we read those words in English, we may go, Anyone can say anything they want to. They may be lying, they may be misinformed, but they can say whatever they want. Well, the Greek word here that gets translated to speak or to say is one that carries with it the idea of proclaiming or teaching, preaching. In the context, Paul is talking about people who are trying to teach Christians what's right, and he's letting them know if someone is claiming to teach you about God and is teaching you that Jesus has somehow been cursed. The Holy Spirit is not with that person, but the person who can teach you that Jesus is Lord of God. The only way that can be revealed to someone is through the Holy Spirit. And since salvation comes through Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us that Jesus is Lord, then our salvation comes through the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 say, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. This verse further helps us understand the relationship between Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. While the Holy Spirit reveals to us that Jesus is Lord, we are able to receive the Holy Spirit and the washing and the renewal that comes from the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. While the Son and the Spirit both have a role to play, what Scripture lets us know is that the Holy Spirit's work in us is to bring about our salvation. Then in turn, in the same way that Jesus allowed the Spirit to work in him to bring about our salvation, we then have access to the Holy Spirit that works in us to bring others to salvation. 
First Peter chapter one, verse 12 says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter says the spirit was at work in people to bring about the message to you that brought salvation. Peter again writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, Peter is reiterating the fact that the Holy Spirit of God works in men to bring others to Christ. And Jude verses 20 and through 23 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Jude, the brother of Jesus, is making the point that because of the work of the Spirit in us, we have an obligation and an opportunity to reach others and bring them to eternal life, having mercy on some, snatching others from the fire, and fearing for the outcome of others. After the short description of Othniel's reign, we come to the story of Ehud. During Ehud's lifetime, a man named Eglon was king over Moab, and because of Israel's disobedience, Eglon was able to leverage his power and influence and oppress the people of Israel. He made them pay him tribute to not attack them and destroy them, and they were paying this. And we're told in the story that Israel had nominated Ehud to go and deliver this tribute to Eglon. As we look at this story, I think we can see King Eglon as a metaphor for sin. King Eglon and his physical appearance and his death and the way that it comes about and the even smells that are associated with it paint a very ugly picture of a man who was oppressing God's people. Sin is the same way in our lives. It is very ugly to God. It it causes bad things to happen, and it diminishes the beauty of life. It's also very oppressive. It holds us in bondage, and it keeps us from experiencing all that God wants us to. In the same way Israel is relieved from their bondage, our salvation is from the bondage of sin. We're told in Scripture that God hates our sin. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 6, says, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I made them. God said that after men had sinned and become so violent that the creation of man has brought him grief because of their sin. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 16 says, For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly, is an abomination to the Lord your God. God hates sin. He knows that it diminishes our life and oppresses us and keeps us from his blessing. So he hates it. Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 21 and 22, the prophet records, 
As for the smoking sacrifices that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your forefathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them, and did not all this come into his mind? So the Lord was no longer able to endure it because of the evil of your deeds, because of the abominations which you have committed. Thus your land has become a ruin and an object of horror and a curse without an inhabitant as it is this day. Jeremiah is making the point to his audience that God had remembered the sacrifices of his people and he had been faithful to the covenant, but it was the people who continued to sin and do evil, and God could no longer endure it. And so he didn't protect them in their land. And one other verse from the New Testament, Luke chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Too often, we do things that diminish our existence, that diminish our life and blessing and our connection with God. But rather than changing from those things so that we can experience all that God has in store for us, we make excuses and justify the destructive behavior that we participate in. We try to convince ourselves that it's really okay or not that bad, or maybe that we can't help it because we're only human. But Jesus says, Those things are an abomination in the sight of God. They're an abomination because God knows they hold us in bondage. And he sent his son to set us free. If we are in bondage to sin, it's a choice that we've made because salvation is available. We have a judge in Jesus that has set us free from that. If we stay tied down to it, if we stay bound to it, that's on us. But God says... Even in that, I can use the sin. I can use it to help you and make you better and stronger. And hopefully, you'll learn to trust him and turn away from those evil deeds. As we look at this story of the book of Judges, we even made the point in the last episode that God had left nations in Canaan, and part of what he would use them for is to test and refine Israel so that they would come to know how to fight the battles that were waging against them and that they would learn to trust and have faith in God himself. We have suffering in our lives. Some of it is the effect of our own decision and our own sin. Some of it is because of the sin of others. But when hardship and trials come in our life, God says that he will use that. He doesn't like the oppression that sin brings. He doesn't like the hardship that it brings. He doesn't inflict those hardships on us, but he will use them to help us grow, to strengthen our ability to fight those temptations and to help us to learn better, to trust in him and have faith in his way of doing things. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us Also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think this passage can be a little unsettling for some of us because it seems to say maybe that God punishes us when we don't get it right and we just need to put up with it until he's done punishing us and that somehow we have to learn from that punishment. We need to understand the way the word discipline is used in this passage. We have some insight right at the end of the passage because we are told that we are trained by it. Discipline is training. And very often in our culture, it gets associated with punishment. But this word has to do with training, correcting, making sure that the person involved knows what they should do, and how they should respond. It's more what an athlete goes through as they are conditioning and training to take part in whatever sport they've chosen. There are certain things that they have to do, and it can be painful to train for the Olympics, for a football team, for uh, weightlifting or boxing or any other sport. The training can be painful. But it's in that pain that the muscles grow and strengthen. It's in that pain that we learn techniques and skills that help us when the real battle comes. The Hebrew writer here lets us know that God does the same thing. Much of the pain and trouble that's inflicted on us is either a result of our own choices or the bad choices of others, and it hurts, and the pain is very real. But God says, I can take all things and work them together for good if you'll trust me and love me. And so he takes those hardships that he doesn't want any of us to have to experience, but since we are experiencing them, he wants to use them for our benefit. This is what he was doing with Israel and what he promises to do in our lives. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.